Hello and welcome to Muffin Talk. This is Muffin Talk brought to you by the initiative Titi Paunamu Study Enjoy. Muffin Talk is a weekly radio program to which I invite guests to talk about their work, their passion for issues on community programs, social justice, Bible studies, or the Catholic Church. My interviews are done in the studio of Planet FM or via Zoom. Today I have invited Brother Kieran Finn to a Zoom recording for our broadcast. Brother Kieran, a warm welcome and hi to my already program. Kira Beate. <laughs> brother Kieran Finn is a Champagne brother and Bible scholar and has been teaching in adult education for many years. With today's interview, we are continuing our very first virtual teaching series organized by Titi Paunamu, Study and Joy. We will have three more sessions coming up on the topic, Mary, the Mother of God. All sessions are connected, but also stand alone. Our Muffin Talk today and our online session next Monday evening will continue with this series on Mary. Brother Kieran, our first session on Mary was on Mary and Vatican II. Then we started to go to the beginnings of the scripture. We talked about the readings of Paul, the gospel according to Mark and to Matthew. And now we'll move on to the gospel according to Luke. In the last session, you mentioned several times the importance of discipleship. How is Mary a disciple? That's a very big question because um, discipleship, in Mark was a rather sad scene where Mary and the family come and uh, they want to see Jesus and there almost seems to be this element of rejection and when Jesus points to the disciples gathered around him, the followers, he says, here are my mother, my sister, my brothers. So what we're dealing with is a discipleship that is of the close followers of Jesus. Now, Mary does not accompany Jesus in his historical lifetime in his mission. So what Luke does is very interesting. We know that line, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it and follow him. Now, what Luke does is rather sneaky, in fact, and it's, it's very different because Luke changes the context. What happens is he puts the parable of the sower just before the particular text of the family coming to Jesus. And the last part of that talks about how those who are the good seed, they are the ones who hear the word of God hold it fast and bear fruit, the hearing and the doing. Now, this is such an important text in Luke to read in the correct way because there's a big difference between saying, my mother and my brothers are those here gathered around me and saying, oh, my mother and brothers that have just turned up 
Oh, they are the ones who hear the word of God and do it. So that is very important to be read in the right way. They are the ones who hear the word of God and do it. And Mary is preeminently the one who hears the word of God and does it. So we then go back to the critical annunciation, which is that marvellous scene where Mary does hear the message of the angel, of Gabriel. Now, Mary is not a disciple in the historical sense of accompanying Jesus during his mission, but in the sense that she heard the word of God and she acted on it. This is the constant discipleship of Mary in the Gospel of Luke, especially in that infancy narrative. And in Luke's theology, the faith that marks a genuine disciple consists in hearing and acting on God's word, the integrity of hearing and doing. And, of course, this is when Elizabeth meets Mary and Mary comes to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, her words, she blesses Mary for her believing because the things that are said to her by the Lord will reach fulfillment. So the Annunciation scene depicts Mary with a mood of celebration that she is one who hears the word of God and is a doer of God's word. Maybe that's the original meaning of the word obey, if you think of the Latin obedire, is to listen and act onto it. So I think that that is something that uh, brings the original meaning of obey back because it's not um, the way that it's often seen today, but that's how Mary, she heard it and then she acted upon it. To hear is to obey, but the point about that hearing and that obedience is it is not just passive submission. It's a dynamic entering into God's plan that takes place. So she does say a a yes that comes out of us, a real acceptance of God's plan and a choice because she had freedom. And as to say said, yes and freedom to say no. <laughs> right. And as you said at the last session, she had the freedom and yet she took all the risks by listening to God's word and to by obeying and because she she was act, actively um, doing what God said without knowing what was coming afterwards. We saw that in Matthew, didn't we? Where yes. the whole flight into Egypt. And she would have had to have said, well, why is it so hard? <laughs> and it is so hard. And even in our story, even in this story, in Luke, we're going to find that the decisions were tough. We saw how last, in the last session, how Joseph, how her, her pain and Joseph being upset at her pregnancy and the risk that she took being stoned to death by the law. It was not easy. And it was a brave choice by a very young and courageous woman. And at last session, you also mentioned the Annunciation and said that in Matthew, the Annunciation is more to Joseph. 
than to anybody else. So um, is the Annunciation really something that describes what took place? I think we've got to watch very carefully. I love the line from Vatican II that the Old Testament foreshadows what happens in the New. And in the Old Testament, there are many stories of births of significant figures in Israel's story. We have a story like the the Annunciation to the mother of Samson. There are the same with Ishmael and um, Jacob. So many stories in the Old Testament are told with the same pattern. An angel comes to announce, there's their word, Annunciation, to announce the birth of a significant figure, whether it's Jephthah or so on. And there's a reaction. The angel has to say, do not be afraid. We get that line. And then the announcing of the birth of a son and what that son is going to do. And then there's a sign given. Now, those steps are carried out very clearly in the Annunciation to Zechariah of the birth of John the Baptist and then also, of course, in the birth of Jesus, the Annunciation to Mary. Now, the point is that the Gospel writers knew their Old Testament, unlike, unfortunately, ourselves. So we see the pattern when we look back to the Old Testament that the gospel writer chose to tell the story with the pattern that emerges from the Annunciation stories of the Old Testament. Now, we know that the infancy narratives are the last part of the gospel to be written, and we always need to recognize that. And there are so such scant details available. They go to the adult life of Jesus, for so many of these stories that make up the infancy narratives of the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. And out of the adult life of Jesus, then we have these accounts. Now, that is perfectly illustrated in a very strange story to fit into an infancy narrative. The 12-year-old child who goes to the temple, when you were 12, you were virtually an adult in that society. Now, think for a moment what happens. You have the child is lost for three days. So there, Jesus is lost for three days. He's about the work of his father. He's sought sorrowing. When in the life of Jesus does he get missed? Does he go missing for three days and is sought sorrowing? Yeah. and is doing the work of his father. Yeah. Doesn't that sound familiar? Yeah. Of course, what is it? It's the... The death and resurrection. Precisely, precisely. Out of the adult life of Jesus, the infancy narratives come. And this, of course, would be that Luke knew the faith of Mary. He knew her, yes. So God somewhere at some time asked Mary to cooperate in the coming of Jesus and to be the mother of Jesus through the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. Now, she said yes, 
We don't know the literal details. We don't know what she said. Luke places on, on her lips that acceptance, a blessed and graced acceptance. And so much, so beautiful of that story, the, uh, the message of the angel, the highly favoured one. And highly favoured, that's an interesting word. It's passive, highly favoured. And, and the, the, the Greek passive normally means the action of God. She is a graced being. And that, of course, is what the Immaculate Conception is, that from the very first moment of her conception, God's grace fills her, and throughout her life, she was open and accepting of that grace. I mean, we're all born into that situation. Mary responded perfectly to the grace being that she was, and we struggle and are called to imitate her in saying our yes to God and our own lives. And you mentioned the Immaculate Conception, and that's the conception uh, before the birth of uh, Mary. Yes, exactly, and not to be confused with the virgin births, which is a completely different account, and that's what we really have in the Gospel of Luke. And when when we look at Matthew, you said that it was written for a Jewish um, for Jewish listeners. Yes. And what about Luke? Because if you say um, we have to think about the Old Testament, how much did the do you think that the Lucan listeners would know would have known about the Old Testament? Well, I think Christianity, early Christianity had to have some knowledge of the Old Testament. I mean, I think Paul was struggling, but he, he managed to teach an awful lot of it to the people. But here, um, Luke does tell his story, drawing on a, a fair amount of the Old Testament as well. He knew what a beatitude was, a blessing, and that's very much part of Jewish spirituality. And, of course, the first blessing ever spoken is by Elizabeth where she blesses Mary for her believing it's so beautiful (laughs) (laughs) what's her role in connection with Mary oh Elizabeth is a fascinating figure in the story because um, Luke is very careful in in terms of um, women as prophets right but Elizabeth is a prophetic figure when she recognises through the Holy Spirit, work in her, um, that uh, Mary is, she recognises Mary as the mother of my Lord. And other famous women, also, they who helped deliver Israel from peril, they get blessed with the same blessing that Elizabeth uses. Deborah blessed Jael. Remember back when we looked at the women of the Old Testament? And so many of those women are featured, and Elizabeth is just another one of them, of those great women. She praises her young cousin in solidarity with the long heritage of women from the Old Testament whose creative action undertaken in the process of the Spirit brought liberation to God's people. And Mary, we're told, remains with Elizabeth for three months. Well, interestingly enough, the Ark of the Covenant 
is the only thing back in the Old Testament that remained for three months in a field waiting for David to take the ark into Jerusalem. Uh, there was a little bit of an accident and someone got struck dead and the fearsome power of the ark, they had to put the ark aside for three months. But the ark, of course, was covered by the cloud, the Shekinah. The presence of God will be upon it and the presence of God is within Mary. So, you know, the uh, litany, uh, the new Ark of the Covenant. So Elizabeth, it's rather a beautiful scene because the support that Mary and Elizabeth share with each other enables them to mother the next generation of prophets, the precursor and the saviour. And on balance, Elizabeth stands as this moving embodiment of the wisdom and the care that older women can offer younger ones who, brave as they are, are just setting out on their journey through life. I mean, poor Mary, in her situation, pregnant, unmarried, she goes to this wise older woman who's worked faithfully has followed the Lord faithfully through her life. And so this younger one goes to the older one. Brave as these young ones are, they're just setting out on their journey through life. And it's the presence of Elizabeth, the older wise woman, assures the younger one that she doesn't face the future alone. Elizabeth's mature experience sustains the new venture. I think it's a beautiful picture of the wisdom of the elder and the courage of the younger coming together for mutual support. I just love the figure of Elizabeth. She deserves more press. (laughs) Does Elizabeth feature also in the other Gospels? Uh, No, she doesn't. She's... uh, a unique figure. And uh, so that, so when we think about conceiving of the Holy Spirit, so that is the case in Mary, but not in Elizabeth's case. Well, Elizabeth does speak prophetically. And um, so the, the Spirit is there as a driving force with her. And, of course, the action of the Spirit is always part of giving a birth, a birth of a birth story. And there's no doubt about it that the spirit is very powerful because the spirit brings life from empty wounds, Elizabeth, Mary in virginity, and in barrenness. You see the same two issues. Virginity was always regarded as potential unfulfilled in that society. So the virgin was on a parallel with the barren. So conceived of the Holy Spirit, the overshadowing influence of the Spirit, the Spirit of God draws near. The Shekinah, the Spirit, the presence of God. And we have to look for religious meaning when we talk about conceived of the Holy Spirit. And God's spirit is this creative power that's there at the beginning of time. And as I said, you know, the spirit brings life out of empty wombs. But also, of course, it's the spirit that brings Jesus back for the resurrection from the tomb. 
the spirit, we could say that the spirit brings life out of empty wombs and out of empty tombs. Mm-hmm. I like that line yeah. <laughs> because the spirit is the power of the life-giving spirit. And Absolutely. dear God, the spirits can do that for our world today and it's badly in need of it. <laughs> Brother Kieran, another um, typical thing for Luke is the Magnificat. Oh, so yes. the, song, the Song of Mary, which doesn't uh, occur in any other gospel. Is that correct? That's right. Um, I had... I, I did something rather nasty the other day. Um, reading that the that Cardinal Dolan was to say the um, opening prayer for the Republican convention, and of course we had um, Father Martin, and uh, there was a sister as well who said the prayers for the Democrat convention. Um, I suggested that they use the Magnificat. Now, just to see who would who would get most upset by it, <laughs> and it Very is challenging. It is challenging. My goodness, it's challenging. And you know quite well certain people who got challenged by it in Guatemala and wouldn't allow it to be prayed publicly, right? So, what's in the Magnificat? Luke puts this prayer, this powerful prayer, on the lips of Mary at the at the visitation. And its content, its content is, is so hugely powerful. And it's really the, a prayer that draws on some of the best of the Old Testament. Now, we know that Hannah sang a song so like this for the birth of Samuel. So there's another lovely connection with the Old Testament. But I always find what fascinates me most are the lines that the um, oh, to be able here we are. Yes, the Luke and infancy narratives and this powerful prayer. He has shown strength with his arm and scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. That's a moral revolution for hearts to change like that. He's put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. That's perfect. The Anawim, those who depend on God in their lowliness and their poverty. And Mary is the epitome of that in this gospel. That's a social revolution, putting down the mighty and lifting up those of low degree. Those are the oppressed, the materially oppressed. Filling the hungry with good things and sending the rich away empty, that's an economic revolution. Some countries are very good talking about the economy. Now, who are those who are dying? Certainly not those who are among the powerful. Filling the hungry with good things Sending the rich away empty. An economic revolution. And these words are placed on the lips of Mary by the gospel writer. And the life of the son of Mary is to be fulfilling the challenges of the Magnificat. It's really calling for social justice. Oh, how very, very true. And it's, I know 
It could be seen as inciting revolution, but it's a revolution of the heart, the attitude, and the determination. I think um, it's so much tied, it's so much part of liberation theology. Mm-hmm. Really. And many stories of Jesus then go into the same direction where he um, he embraces those who are outcast. He embraces those who are not looked after. Those who are excluded. There's always that challenge of who do we exclude and who do we include? I mean, if we look at the life of Mary's son, it was all embracing all loving and uh, I think he learnt that from somebody <laughs> <laughs> so so Hannah and Samson so they, they had a similar um, similar words yes certainly the prayer of Hannah in the book of Samuel right at the beginning See, yeah. there's another one of those books that begins with a woman a woman's story starts the books of Samuel. Maybe we should do another series on the women in the Old Testament because as uh, as you said the other day, there are not so many women uh, mentioned by name in the Old Testament. Um, the, I think you said 9% of those mentioned by name were women. Yes, yes. Right? But, but some of them have got tremendous significance. I think of people like Jephthah's daughter and uh, the Levites' concubine, the terrible stories there. The daughter of King David, another Tamar. You know, um, Mary has some wonderful ancestors back there whose story at times resemble her own. Well, she is a Jewish woman, and yes. she, she would have known the, the writings or at least would have heard about yes, the, yes. the women in the Testament. Yes. And she also knew about the, the women's courage to follow God's will. Yes, I, I think there's a sort of a, it's like a great stream that flows into her and out of her. She stands at that critical moment, the end of the old and the beginning of the new. And that's really the work of the spirit, the creative spirit that began the, the creation itself they're present and then with this new creation that takes place in the person of Mary and the beginning of the Gospel of of Luke. And interestingly, the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, of course, is uh, that little piece about Theophilus, the dedication. It starts with the dedication before it jumps to the story. But the name Theophilus means a lover of God. And that lover of God, this story is to be in the heart. The Gospel of Luke is to be in the heart of the lover of God. And part of that story includes Mary in the most positive picture that you'll get. And it's also in the in the middle of, of our series. So that'll be part three out of uh, our series. And we had those writings that have hardly mentioned Mary. Now we're coming to Luke where she is a major person, major figure in um, in the gospel. And then we have John, where she's also very much present. And so mm-hmm. next week we're going to talk about John. 
So oh, thank good. you very much, Brother Kieran, for this insight on the gospel according to Luke in connection with Mary. And so the series will continue next Monday, the 7th of September. And um, then also I'd just like to mention for those who were interested in the um, St. Mark's Coptic Orthodox Church in Birkdale on the North Shore for an event on the rock-hewn Orthodox churches in Ethiopia. This event is not going to take place on the 5th of uh, September, but we are going to do it at another time. We'll, we'll have to see when the situation is good for, for it to, be, uh, to take place. And if you would like to watch the videos and a short video on um, Brother Kieran, um, we have the two and three or five minute um, snippets that we put on our on my website at www.studyjoy.nz. And also just to draw your attention to the retreat day, an online retreat day on Saturday the 19th of September, 10.30 to 4 p.m. And that's with Eamon Butler and his topic is Homecoming, a Journey of Transformation. And he look, we'll have the picture of the prodigal son um, as a ref, uh, for the reflection. Kia kaha and keep safe. And thank you so much, Brother Kieran, for continuing with our series and for all the input that you have given to us. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brother. peace is calling in the bonds of love we meet for the world a new day dawn.